0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to episode 49 of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. March is behind us, but the biggest college basketball game of the year is yet to be played, so head on over to Bet Online because now's your chance to win some money while you watch. They have lines, spreads, and props on Monday's game, so whether you're for Baylor or Gonzaga, you've got the chance to make some cash. But whether you're looking to place a bet on college basketball, the NHL, or any other sport, Bet Online has you covered. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. This is Believe in Hockey Prospects, the show all about discussing the future stars in the game of hockey. We believe in the future, do you believe? This week, we'll talk about some college players signing their entry-level contracts, the Kelowna Rockets shutting down and changes to the draft lottery, but first... The Frozen Four has been decided, Jess. The four regional championships are behind us, leaving four teams to fight for the national championship. And Jess, I don't know about you, but this is not a list I expected to be reading here today. From the Loveland region is Minnesota State after they defeated Quinnipiac in Minnesota. From the Albany region is St. Cloud State after they beat Boston University and Boston College. Those two will play each other Thursday, April 8th at 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. From the Fargo region is Minnesota Duluth after they defeated AIC and North Dakota in that historic five-overtime game. And from the Bridgeport region is UMass after they defeated Lake Superior State and Bemidji State. Those two will play each other also on April 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. The championship game will be between the winner of both games. That will happen Saturday, April 10th at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Now, Jess, before I ask you for your take on some things, let me throw some fun facts at you. Let's start with the fact that we saw the longest game in tournament history when Minnesota, Duluth, and North Dakota went 142 minutes and 13 seconds Also in the making history department, Minnesota State had never won a tournament game before this year. Now they've got two wins and head to their first ever Frozen Four. And I'll leave you with the fact that this is the first time since 2007 there are no one seeds in the Final Four, and the first time since 1992 that three teams from the same state will be in the Final Four. So, Jess, we'll have a champion by our next episode. What do you think of our field, and who do you have as your champion?
1: Well, I'm biased. I'm going to root for UMass. They won their very first Hockey East championship. I think UMass, if you want to look at it from a quality standpoint, they are the quality team of the field. I would go UMass 1, St. Cloud State 2, Minnesota State 3, and you know who's going to be fourth. I'm not surprised at anybody that made the field because each team – at certain points of the year was at the top of the charts. Minnesota State had a great run, disappeared for a while, found its act together, and so what they did really wasn't as big a surprise. Same thing for St. Cloud State. They had a heck of a start, fell on themselves for a few games, but fortunately they picked the right time to get their act together, and they do, in my opinion, belong in the Frozen Four. UMass, I think they were seeded third or fourth. I won't lie. They had a nice, easy run, uh, defeated UMass Lowell in the finals to get their automatic bid. And quite frankly, I thought UMass should have gotten the number one seed based on their season.
0: Yes, I think this tournament has been so much more entertaining than I could have imagined. Minnesota-Duluth shocked the world in more than one way. Upsetting North Dakota would normally be enough, but to do it after playing more than two games worth of hockey. Is such a cool story. And then you've got Minnesota State, who looked like they were not going to get past Quinnipiac for a little bit, but not only did they rightfully win that game, they embarrassed Minnesota in a 4-0 win. And then your UMass Amherst team, they've been the fire extinguisher. Lake Superior State, Bemidji State, they were both on such hot streaks coming in. UMass was on a streak of their own, though. They were not going to be denied. Okay,
1: well, I think everybody is shocked, totally shocked, that North Dakota is not in this frozen four that was basically you know everybody's cream of the crop for this year and the fact that they didn't make it to the frozen four is a story in itself but you know what that's not that's not knocking this has been a wacky year i'm not going to call any team that's in the frozen four right now a surprise i'm going to say all the teams that are here belong here deserve to be here And this might be one of the best Frozen
0: Four on paper that fans will get to see for decades. I've had so much fun watching this tournament, Jess, and now it comes to who do I think is going to be in the final. Because you've got a team like St. Cloud, who lost their top scorer in Eastern Brzezinski to a broken leg in the second period. And then they go and beat Boston College and give them their first loss in regulation since December. There's so many great teams here. But if I had to pick my final, I think I've got to go with Minnesota-Duluth in the final because strictly based on the idea, if you can beat North Dakota, you can beat anybody. UMass has got a great squad. They're going to have a really tight game there, but I really like this top line of Cole Kepke, Noah Cates, and Nick Sweeney. Zach Stasek made 57 saves against North Dakota, Jess. 57 saves against the best team in the nation. you got to hope he's feeling better after he cramped up in that game in overtime. They go with him. I think Duluth moves on to the final final and on the right side of the bracket it's tough because I'd argue St. Cloud has had the toughest road to get to this point. BU I think was one of the most underappreciated teams coming into this tournament they put up six goals against Drew Camesso and then without their leading score they put up four on Spencer Knight but even though they faced two phenomenal goalies Jess they still haven't faced the best one in the nation out there and by god does Dryden McKay look great this tournament. He looks incredible. McKay and Petrozelli went at each other in a goalie war in that Minnesota State Quinnipiac game. McKay comes out on top. He shuts out Minnesota, who were one of the most deep offensive teams in the nation this year, to get his 10th shutout on the season. The Mavericks proved that all you need to do is put some goals on the board, and Dragon McKay will take care of the rest. I'm picking the Mavericks to beat St. Cloud and Duluth in the final to get their first ever championship.
1: I think I think it's quite obvious who I'm rooting for. I like UMass because they have a balanced offensive team. Their goaltending has just been lights out fantastic. I just think the way this team has come around, winning the Hockey East Championship to me is a tough, tough thing to do. And then going to the NC2As, because a lot of times you look at the cream of the crop of the NC2A and you see them in there. I mean, I think what do they have four teams make it to the original field. I'm going to go with my boys at the UMass Minutemen. My man, Zach Jones, is going to show the world why he
0: deserves a New York Ranger contract. And so we'll see what happens next week. So we've got four teams left, but now that a majority of the teams have been eliminated from the field, a lot of players have signed their entry-level contracts in the NHL. So far, Jess, we've seen over 20 players from the NCAA sign in entry-level contracts.
1: Are you going to read me a list of names. I just happened to have brought up college hockey news, all-star teams, and I want to see how many guys that are on these teams, first and second, that are you're going to name off. Because, I mean, just looking at it, I think there's... Four of them for sure I know. Uh, I'm going to wait to see what else you call.
0: Well, hopefully we match them up for you, Jess. But let's go program by program to see who's on the move. Boston College had four players sign their contracts. Winger Mike Hardman to Chicago, center Alex Newhook to Colorado, goalie Spencer Knight to Florida, and winger Matt Boldy to Minnesota. Boston University defenseman David Ferrance has signed with Nashville. Michigan defenseman Cam York has signed with Philadelphia. Minnesota loses winger Sam Ranta to Colorado and center Scott Reedy to San Jose. New Hampshire winger Angus Cruikshank has signed with Ottawa. North Dakota had five players signed contracts. Center Jordan Kawaguchi and goalie Adam Shield signed with Dallas. Defenseman Matt Kiersted signed with Florida. And both center Shane Pinto and defenseman Jacob Bernard Docker signed with Ottawa. Northeastern defenseman Michael Kesselring has signed with Edmonton. Notre Dame center Alex Steves has signed with Toronto. Ohio State defenseman Leighton Ahak has signed with Vegas. Penn State center Arna Talviti signed with New Jersey, and so did Providence winger Tyce Thompson. Quinnipiac sends Odin Tufto off to Tampa Bay, and defenseman Peter DeLiberatore off to Vegas. Yukon defenseman Jan Kuznetsov signed with Calgary. UMass Lowell defenseman Seth Barton signed with Detroit. And last but most certainly not least, Wisconsin winger Cole Caulfield has signed his contract with Montreal. So that's a lot of different guys, Jess. Which NHL team do you think is getting the best crop, and who are some players you think could make an impact on their new teams?
1: Oh, I think all of them can. The only two guys on the first or second team not to have signed a pro contract, uh, Mark, DeFa- Mark DeGasio of Massachusetts, and Dryden McKay of Minnesota State. Why? Because they're still playing. But everybody else, in all the years I've done this, and we're talking going back to 2004, I have never seen a first and second team all sign, all turn pro. This is like wild. It's totally wild. Who benefited? Oh, my God, Cole Caulfield turning pro. I think he was ready for the NHL at the beginning of the season. I mean, the way he played all year, uh, I think he can step right into an NHL lineup. And eventually, we're going to see the last two, Degazio and Dryden McKay. I think Dryden McKay will see some NHL action this year.
0: Well, Jess, all signings are not created equally, but we know just how talented all of these guys are. Cole Caulfield shouldn't be in Laval for long before he's in Montreal. Cam York shouldn't be in Lehigh Valley long before we see him in the Philadelphia Orange. Matt Kirsten has already made his debut in Florida for the Panthers. The guy who I'm really excited to watch more than anybody is actually one of the newest members of the New Jersey Devils, Tice Thompson. What gives me hope more than anything is the fact that I really like that Ty Smith has come into his own in New Jersey. He's on the cusp of being a Calder nominee, and just like Ty Smith, Tyce Thompson is such a talented player when he was at Providence. Before COVID hit, Thompson and Jack Dugan were on one of the best lines in all of college hockey. They were tearing up the nation. He doesn't have the same size as his brother. Tage Thompson, the Buffalo saver, is 6'7", almost 220 pounds. Tice is only about 6'1", not even a buck 80, but he had no problem finding the score sheet, and I expect that trend to keep on going. In terms of which NHL team, I think, made some great signings, I really like the deal that Colorado added to their system. Colorado, Dallas, Florida, New Jersey, Ottawa, and Vegas all signed more than one person coming out of college. Sam Ranta was such a dynamic piece of that Minnesota team that fought hard all season. He was second in the nation in goals, led Minnesota in goals points, and finished the season with a plus 19. And Alex Newhook, man, what a player. Colorado took him as their first-round pick in that stacked 2019 draft class. He's a world junior stable, 58 points in 46 games in two years at BC. He is such a great prospect for any team, and especially Colorado. how We know how they handle prospects coming in.
1: Well, I, I watched Alex Newhook when he was in the British Columbia Hockey League. He was teamed with uh, Riley Hughes, who plays for Northeastern now. And I thought that Newhook could have turned pro before he went to college. He didn't need the college, but going to college allowed him to work on his game pretty much for free and out of the pressure of the media and all that. So I think Newhook is going to surprise a lot of people and how quickly he's going to adapt to the pro game.
0: The only thing that concerns me about Ranta and Newhook is you look at some of the other guys that signed their contracts. Like I said before, Kirsted has already made his NHL debut. In Philly, the future of Shane Gostis bear is up in the air. That might open up a slot for Cam York. Cole Caulfield is the kind of player you make a spot for, so maybe Montreal will shade things up to fit him in. Colorado's forwards are so stacked, I don't know if any of these guys can slot in. I mean, Liam O'Brien is on their fourth-line wing, so maybe Ranta has a Hail Mary shot of getting the call, but no, you got guys like JT Comfer, who's normally a center, playing the wing, so they're so deep down the middle, I don't know if we can expect Newhook to even play this year the team is already set up for so much success you might not need him right now or even next season but whenever he makes the jump I think he's going to have a major impact congrats to all of these guys on signing their first contracts and to all those teams for bringing in some great players one last thing you know and and that is you might
1: see NHL teams wait until after the trade deadline when the roster limits totally disappear before we see some of these guys I think for now, you might see some of them uh, on taxi squads so they could practice with the NHL teams. This is a wacky year. And like I said, I've never seen so many college kids. And I'll tell you what, now that we've gotten the draft pick signed, we're still getting to the free agents. And that's something that usually doesn't start until, you know, after the frozen four. I wouldn't be surprised if as many as 40 total players jump from the NC2As to the professional game.
0: Before we get to our next story, we want to thank one of the sponsors of today's episodes, Kanan Sunglasses. I've gone through so many different sunglasses looking for the perfect pair. They either scratch, break, or cost way too much, but Kanan only makes their product with polarized lenses, meaning they're clearer, lighter, and stronger. So use the exclusive code KananCast15 at Kanan.com to receive 15% off on your first purchase. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Kane, clearly better. Jess, we also have our first team shutdown in the WHL. On March 30th, the Kelowna Rockets were ordered to suspend team activity for at least two weeks, meaning every game the Rockets were scheduled to play, beginning with their game on March 30th, all the way to their April 15th game, both against Kamloops, will be postponed. The WHL has not offered any comments other than the British Columbia health officials have been contacted and all members of Kelowna have been put in isolation to quarantine. We also saw the other night that something very similar happened to another British Columbia team. The Vancouver Canucks of the NHL also shut down operations and the NHL is currently scrambling to come up with a game plan that doesn't screw up the playoffs. How do you see this shutdown for Kelowna affecting the WHL?
1: I've watched this weekend... The WHL, the other teams in the BC division played. A team like Kamloops uh, had to go 12 days without getting to play. They took the ice last night against Victoria. So I think what they're going to do is they're just going to have to manage around it. I've seen some copies of prospective schedules. When Kelowna plays, I I wouldn't be surprised if those poor kids are going to wind up having to play like a five games in a week schedule to catch up. I think... Honestly, the WHL is doing themselves an injustice. You're only playing 24 games. If Kelowna is to say half of them, why are you even bothering to try to rush them in? You've got the other four teams, they're playing, they're staying healthy. Why risk their health? You know, I hate to see it happen to the teams. It wasn't a specific player who got infected, but, you know, rules are the rules. And
0: if Kelowna can't, field the team. I'm sorry, Kelowna can't feel the team. Yeah, the part of this whole situation that's incredibly interesting is that British Columbia did, from an outsider's perspective, everything they could to hold out as long as humanly possible in terms of bringing sports back. How long did we wait, Jess, me and you, for a ruling for the BC division to make a call before the dub fully came back? Now, what do you know? The hosting team of their division bubble and one of the premier NHL teams have both had a massive COVID issue. I think it could be very hard for the British Columbia health officials to force these teams- withdraw, Jess, but I definitely think it's a possibility. I mean, 30 people in the grand scheme of things isn't a whole lot, but they don't owe us anything. Their job is to keep people safe. And right now, there's a long list of athletes and coaches who aren't safe. So the other four teams in the Kelowna bubble all came back negative. I expect their season to continue no problem, but this is a big hit for the Rockets and a bad time because action in the dub has been so exciting the games have been so great and we only have a little bit of it so a uh, best of luck to them in recovery best of luck to the whl and trying to decide how they want to work around this because this is just a tough situation for everybody
1: oh before we go on that you know right now i'm following the whl and and i gotta talk to you guys about this kid that i have just so much fallen in love with he's 15 years old He's only 15. His name is Connor Biard, center for the Regina Pats. He's played 12 games. He's got eight goals, 14 assists, 22 points. This is not a 15-year-old kid that's playing. It's somebody that's in a 15-year-old's body and, and is pretending to be this kid. But all I know is I have watched him play for Regina. This is a kid that is people are going to talk about. In the same way that they talked about Crosby and the great one, this young man, he has stepped onto the ice and he has just been utterly fantastic. The other night he tried a lacrosse style goal and he almost got away with it. He's going to be on Canada's under 18 team. So if you get a chance and you you get a chance to watch that tournament, watch this kid. He is truly And I mean truly special. He's a right-handed shot. He can move the puck. He's an outstanding skater. And his hockey IQ is at the level of an NHL player right now. This is a young man you better keep your eye on. And I got one more name for you. Dustin Wolf, Everett Silvertips. Got to be the best junior goalie right now. Anytime somebody scores two goals on this kid, is considered like a major holiday. He's limited other teams to one goal or fewer in every game he's played in. He played for Team USA. He's with the Everett Silver Tips.
0: Keep an eye on that guy, too. And finally, Jess, while we were gone, the NHL has announced changes to the draft lottery format. There were three big changes to the new format. Starting this year, the number of lottery draws will be reduced from three to two, meaning the last place team will pick no lower than three. And beginning next year, the maximum number of spots to move up will be limited to 10, meaning only 11 teams have the chance to pick first overall instead of 16. And also, no team can win more than twice in a five-year period. So, Jess, we've got a really exciting draft class coming up. We've got guys like Owen Power, Kent Johnson, Aturati, and then we've got guys like Connor Bedard a little further down the line in a few years. What do you think of these changed draft lottery? We're Ranger fans
1: when we're not doing this, okay? So as a Ranger fan, I can tell you it's a knee-jerk reaction to the Rangers having LaFanier number one last year, Paco number two the year before that, and the Rangers aren't exactly lighting the NHL on fire. The possibility of the Rangers being in the draft lottery yet again and possibly, you know, a shot at winning it yet again. I honestly think that the draft lottery – it be limited to the bottom three. Say it's uh, Ottawa. If Ottawa's in the bottom three, they have already been in the lottery a couple of times. I would not allow them to pick any higher than third. I want the bottom team. The worst team is the team that needs the infusion of new talent. So I I truly believe that no matter what these guys want to talk about with the draft lottery, The number one pick should always go to the team that is the worst team in the NHL.
0: Jess, you brought up the point about the Rangers, and that's actually something I wanted to talk about, too. Because both of us are Ranger fans, we spend a lot of time on Rangers Twitter, and the news broke, and I saw so many Ranger fans that said the league did this only because of the Rangers. When Edmonton won the lottery four times in six years, nobody batted an eye, but the Rangers move up twice in two years, and changes have been made First off, let me say this. If you're one of the people saying that kind of stuff, i got two words for you. Shut up. Nobody's out to get you and your team. If anything, you should be thankful the league is doing the right thing here. Because let's look at the facts. Last year, Detroit had the pick that should have gotten them Alexis Lafreniere. Instead, they get Lucas Raymond. The year before that, Colorado had the pick that should have gotten them Jack Hughes. Instead, they get Bo and Byram. Hell, the Buffalo Sabres missed out on Aaron Ekblad and Connor McDavid, and now they're the biggest joke of an organization in the league. I was able to find a graphic that I saw over the summer in between Part 1 of the draft lottery and Part 2. Over the last five years, there have been nine teams with a net gain of moving up in the lottery, and 13 teams with a net loss of moving down. Detroit, in the last five years, has moved down eight spots over every draft. Vancouver's moved down seven, Colorado's moved down six. And then you look at the people who benefit. The Rangers moved up a net of 13 in the last five years. The Flyers 10, Carolina, and Chicago 8. So the two wins in five years rule, I get it. I don't really love it because the Devils and Oilers have had a lot of luck. They also haven't won a cup since their first round picks, but I get the rationale. Reducing the number of lottery picks and how many teams are eligible I think are good ideas. Hopefully this pans out in the league's favor and hopefully this gets a few teams that have been in the basement a little bit closer to the postseason. What people are forgetting is that the draft lottery is,
1: in my opinion, a made-for-TV event. There was never a need for a draft lottery. This is a made-for-TV spectacle that happens, you know, every year and you bring on one of the NHL announcers and you sit all the GMs in the, in the little booth. So my thing is they claim it's to prevent teams from tanking every year. I don't believe any team in the NHL actually tanks on purpose. I mean, of course, I could be wrong, but I think when you start an NHL season, you're looking to win. I don't see many teams who are absolutely throwing games to make sure they lose. I would be just as happy that the bottom 11 teams One, in the old ways, which was uh, you had the worst record, you picked first, second worst, second, and so on and so on. I don't think there's a need for a draft lottery. I'm tired of seeing teams jump from 10th to the first pick. It is a question of the rich are getting richer. Let's leave these guys alone.
0: I agree with you partially there, Jess. I do think that the draft lottery has a lot of fanfare to it. and I think it does some really poor things to teams. But to say that teams aren't tagging, I'm sure most teams don't start out that way. I'm sure most teams don't go through the season that way. But Jess, you're a Giants fan in football. We all saw what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 17 going from the pick to the sixth pick. And see, look, you're groaning right there. See, you know exactly what it feels when a team tries to tank, and they get their desired reaction. So the lottery has definitely had its flaws. It's definitely done more harm than good. I'm happy to see these changes, but I do think it's a good thing to have in the NHL. Well,
1: I'm going to respectfully disagree, because what the Eagles did, as far as I'm concerned, is no better than some guy taking money for shaving points. That's what I feel... I believe that was an order that came down from the ownership to the general manager, and they made a deliberate and conscious decision not to play to win. When you do that, as far as I'm concerned, we bring up the C word, and that's cheating. If you're going to do something like that, you're a cheat. If it was me, I would have stripped them of their first-round pick.
0: That's going to do it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Prospect Park for Jess, at Luke Legrano for myself. If you like this episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes. Follow us for wherever you get your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening to another episode of Believe in Hockey Prospects. My name is Luke Legrano. My name is Jess Rubesey. Thank you for taking the time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time.